An old joke about Episcopal preaching is that the only thing preachers mention less often than Jesus is sin. I actually feel pretty good about how willing the three of us are to preach about Jesus and by name, but I admit that I am probably among many Episcopal preachers who more often use euphemisms such as human nature, weakness, failing, and I think my favorite human condition instead of the word sin. But it's all of a piece, isn't it? We leave sin to the Baptists or maybe the Presbyterians or to the old-time revivalists. In the late 1990s, we were living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Billy Graham was coming to town. And his plan was to fill the entire stadium where the Carolina Panthers football team plays with people who would come to hear him preach, sing some hymns, and be saved. His plan, of course, worked. There would be 305,000 people over the course of four nights who came to see Billy Graham. And that is just a drop in the bucket of the approximately 210 million people who saw him in his 58 years of ministry. You can think what you will about Billy Graham. He's certainly been proven to be controversial in some circles with his theology and his legacy. But attending one of his crusades was experiencing something uniquely Americana firsthand, an old-fashioned tent revival on a scale that is impossible to imagine. And how do I know this? Because I went. And of course, as an Episcopalian, I went as an observer. <laughs> Don and I sat way up in the nosebleeds. And because this was the late 1990s, I went with two of my favorite accessories. I had my new baby Bess in one of those pouch things on my chest. And we had our three-year-old William tightly by the hand so that we wouldn't lose him in the crowd. It was a sea of people. And this observer is here to tell you humbly that it was an incredible night I will never forget. It was awesome to see so many people moved by a message. Thousands of people streaming down the aisles to the field for an altar call while Just As I Am was being sung by an enormous choir. It was a thing to behold, my friends. And for weeks afterward, William told every person he ran into that he had been to see Mr. Billy Graham and Mr. Johnny Cash. <laughs> it made an incredible impression, even on a three-year-old. So what was the draw 
Why did thousands upon thousands of people make their way down to that field for prayer and the laying on of hands? I think it's because they heard a message of hope grounded in reality. And it resonated deeply. And that reality is that we all fall short. Simply put, we sin. And the hope is that there is a gift. And that gift is forgiveness and redemption. We may use different wording. Well, we do use different wording. But we get that same message, not on quite the same scale. We get that same message here, week after week, when we come together to worship. But I think it's helpful sometimes to switch up the language a little bit, and you can hear things anew. Jesus could not be any more clear about this than in our reading from Mark today. Jesus does not speak in general terms about sin. Did y'all catch that? I use Jesus and sin in the same sentence. <laughs> he gets incredibly specific. Some of the sins named we can easily deny, and we are quick to do that. But most we cannot, if we're honest. Please notice that Jesus does not relegate sin exclusively to actions, but calls out the insidious sins of intention, avarice, deceit, envy, slander, pride, and folly. And Jesus says these sins live in the very seat of our being, in our hearts. Now, I would never compare anything we do at St. John's to an altar call in a stadium. But we did hold a special service of healing and wholeness a few weeks ago. Not thousands, but rather dozens of people came for prayer, anointing, and Eucharist. And you may assume, if you've never been to a service like that, that most people come for some sort of physical healing. But I'm here to tell you, far more people come for forgiveness. They come for peace. They come for centering, a promise of redemption, a reminder that they are beloved, and they come for the hope and the possibility of wholeness. Richard and Broderick and I heard it again and again as people came forward and we blessed and anointed them and prayed with them. And no, we did not have Johnny Cash. But who knows who all was present in that great cloud of witnesses, in that communion of saints. We know that darkness can live in our hearts. And we all have a need for confession. I'm going to date myself here, but several of you have highlights <clears throat> like I do in my hair. So perhaps you'll get the reference. 
But when I think about that immediacy and that need for connection or con confession, I think about when I was a little girl and I would stay home from school sick and I got to watch Perry Mason reruns. Mm -hmm. And always there was that person in the witness stand who would just fall apart. I did it and confess to what they had done. It is a deep need in us to confess, to bring to light of those things, both actions and intentions, which weigh us down and separate us from God, and let's not fool ourselves, that separate us from each other. The Gospel of Mark, with its immediacy and directness and impatience, does not open, as Matthew and Luke do, a swaddled babe but rather with Jesus, a fully grown man being baptized while the heavens are torn apart. This is not gentle. This is revival style immediacy. As Billy Graham would say, for we know not what tomorrow will bring. Confess, repent, and be forgiven. If we only say that God is love, and we stop there, and we do not acknowledge our deep need for that love, we are missing the mark. If we do not take the time to look at our hearts and be honest about our sin, we cannot understand or appreciate the gift that is grace. And then we might just take that gift for granted. There was a wonderful priest, Father Ed, from whom I took class when I was discerning my call to holy orders. Father Ed took a group of us and walked us through a Sunday liturgy. And he had us shout out the word, gift, every time we encountered something in the service that was wonderful and undeserved and enriched our life of faith. Sometimes we all yelled gift together, but other times a promise or a prayer struck someone uniquely, and they yelled gift on their own. I still think about that during worship. I don't yell gift. But I think it, because there are so many gifts. Absolution, the peace, receiving the body and blood of Christ. So join me. We're going to practice that. Not in the rest of the service, because that might not go well, but for a minute. Our collect today calls God the Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things. Nice. Deuteronomy describes God as being nearer than any other when called upon. And James couldn't be any more clear, saying every generous act of giving, every perfect gift is from above. Y'all are amazing. I think it is also a gift to be told plainly 
and clearly that we must guard our hearts. We must be aware that evil can emanate from within us. And as our baptismal covenant says, when we fall into sin, not if, we will repent and be forgiven. That, my friends, is the good news. That is a gift. That is the truth that compelled thousands of people to answer that altar call that night in Charlotte. And that is the truth that brought over 50 people to St. John's on an average Wednesday night a few weeks ago seeking wholeness. It is all a gift. What are you going to do with your gift this week?